Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Reengage. Hey, thank you guys for being here on time. All right, round of applause for you guys fighting through the traffic, everything else. Way to go! Hey, it is. Uh, it is. We know it's a sacrifice. One, being here every single week. We know it's a sacrifice getting here early, and then for you guys that have young kids, uh, we know that it's a sacrifice as well, just to um, get everybody here fed, get them to kids ministry. But here's one of the things we want y'all to know is that we believe that that sacrifice is absolutely worth it. And I believe that you all, since you're here, you believe that sacrifice is worth it. And just want to continue to encourage you all to take your next step of faithfulness. You know, each and every week, there's just a call to take your next step of faithfulness. And that's the same thing that we would ask of anyone in this room. And so whether it's one of our leaders, whatever it's someone on staff here at Watermark, that each and every week we want to be asking ourselves, what's our next step of faithfulness? And the reason why we believe coming here each week is worth it um, is because there is no pain like the pain of broken relationships, especially between a husband and a wife or a parent and a child. For all of us, there's no pain like the pain of a broken relationship. And so tonight, one of the things we're going to talk about is just why coming to re-engage and fighting for unity, fighting for reconciliation, fighting for growth in your marriage is so important because when there is brokenness in relationships um, and when that brokenness in relationship moves towards divorce, um, there are consequences. And many times those consequences um, are, are, are really big. And so up here, we have three of our re-engaged uh, leaders. Um, and the commonality for each of them is that they are all children of divorce. And so tonight, they're just going to share a little bit of their perspective um, as brokenness came into their own home and as they walked through that and as they continued to grow, um, having to deal with some of the consequences of that, uh, what that was. Because we know for some of y'all in this room, y'all are in a spot right now where things are really good and you want to continue to move to great, which is amazing. And we know that some of you might be contemplating divorce or, or have contemplated is divorce the best next step uh, for your marriage and even for your family? I mean, some of you in this room are divorced and trying to figure out if there is there hope and healing. And so right now, what we want you to do is just kind of roll the tape forward for you um, that if you make that decision and take that next step forward um, of divorcing with your spouse, um, what are some of the things that are going to be brought into uh, your own life and also the life of your children, you know, so that you can really weigh the cost of why fighting for oneness in your marriage is so important. And so we've got uh, Brett, Alyssa, and Bobby. And so we're going to kind of turn it over to them, uh, share a little bit. We'll dialogue uh, in between each one of them. And so let me pray for our time, and then we're going to give them a chance to share. Lord, thank you so much that in the midst of brokenness of relationships, first and foremost between us and you, a holy and perfect God, you did not leave us there, that you pursued us and fought for reconciliation, even at the cost of the death of your own son, and that whoever believes in him and trusts in him will not perish but have eternal life, Lord. Uh, you came to reconcile us to you and also us to each other. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd use tonight as just a moment to um, help all of us be reminded of the importance of fighting for reconciliation um, and why there is still hope um, in the midst of brokenness of relationships. We love you, Lord. Amen. Okay, well, guys, thank you all so much for being here. So, Bobby, uh, why don't you share with us just kind of some of your story and how it affected you? 
Sure. My, my parents were divorced when I was 18 months old because my father was gay. This was uh, really confusing to me until I, I found out about uh, that when I was about in puberty sometime. Um, suddenly a whole lot of things made sense. Uh, the rest of my family was deathly afraid that I would turn out to be gay too. Um, so uh, even at a very young age, I was encouraged to notice women and to look at cheerleaders and so on. This was like throwing gasoline on a fire. Um, I was already very attracted to women, and I started a lifelong addiction to uh, pornography, starting, at, starting with Playboy at the age of eight with the encouragement of a relative who thought she was helping me. Uh, without uh, a masculine, godly man to teach me, I, I grew up with a distorted picture of what men and women and husbands and wives and, and uh, what God really was. Uh, I grew up with a series of stepfathers and, until I was 12, and my mom's uh, fourth husband stuck. They were married for 20-plus years, and he was the first stable father figure I ever had, but the damage had already been done. Um, and I was already on a course of hedonism and debauchery. Um, I, I don't know how to describe that time without it sounding like bragging, but I, I was lost. Um, I've heard it said, and I think it's true, that, that our view of our father is really our first image of what God is like. And in my case, uh, it was not present, too busy, uh, with more important things than me, and selfish. Uh, I was like my father in that uh, I let sex define and drive my life. Uh, until God stepped in. Uh, he broke me, not, not so gently, and let me see the truth. Ironically, he did it through my wife and kids. Excellent. Thank you, Bobby. And, you know, as I think about your story and just what you're sharing, the idea of not having um, a father figure in your life, kind of as growing up or multiple father figures and not that stability, like what was that like um, for you as you're trying to just uh, describe more about what that was like, trying to figure out what it looked like for you to be a man, to be a husband to your wife and to be a father to your kids uh, when that was lacking kind of as you were growing up? Well, what you do is you, you, you try to find the right thing. So, I mean, as, as a kid, I watched all the shows like the, the Brady Bunch and Eddie's Father and Diana. And so I was looking at all these places for, for some sort of uh, role model, some way to, of what you would be like. And, if you, and when I followed culture, it was just like James Bond. You know, you, you know, sleep with all the women that you can mm-hmm. and you have all the cool gadgets you can possibly have and you'll be happy because he always seemed happy. He was shot at a lot, but he was happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think for all of us is that we don't realize the importance both for a dad and a mom and just the stability within your life and the role model that they provide. And that every single one of us, uh, we will be an imperfect representation of our Heavenly Father. Um, but just the importance of how many of us will look to our parents to kind of help us understand what is God the Father like. Um, And if it is lacking, if it is absent, um, we will believe that God is absent um, also. Um, And so just real briefly, how did that affect you and your understanding of God um, throughout your life and then even as you became a Christian? Well, I I thought I had all the answers. I thought that everything was relative. I thought I could do whatever I wanted to do and and that that I would just follow what the world tells you is, is the way to live. And it and it just wasn't working. I mean, I tried everything you can imagine, and it just didn't work. And it really wasn't until I started trying to think about how do I set a good example for my son that I started thinking about, do I even have the stuff that it takes to be a good father, a good husband, or even, even just a good man? And do I have any of that? And what does that really look like? And, and so when you, when you begin to try to 
figure that out, especially when you're a, when you're a young boy. Um, you have to be really careful where you look because there's lots of places that you can look that look enticing. But once you get on the other side of it, you realize that it's just a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks. All right, Alyssa. Why don't you share with us a little bit of your story? Okay. So 35 years ago, my dad sat all of us down to tell us he was leaving. I was 12 years old, and my whole world changed that day. We had been a close family who did everything together, but all of that became a broken mess, and the life I knew was gone. My parents' divorce affected my six siblings and me in very significant ways, and the ripple effects of my dad's decision are still present today in our lives and in the lives of our children. Even though my dad stayed involved in our lives, I lost my protector and provider, and I soon learned how to navigate daily life without him. I became very self-reliant and independent, and I was determined to always take care of myself and never rely on anyone to provide for me. Because of the financial insecurity that the divorce created, I started working at age 13 and took on a caretaker role in my family. It was also at this time that I started turning to food for comfort, something I can still struggle with today. I felt a lot of anger toward my dad, and though I loved him deeply, I was an adult before I was able to forgive him for what he had done. The divorce has also impacted me as a wife. My independent mindset caused me to look out for myself first, and because I was the caretaker in my family of origin, I prioritized their needs over my husband Shane's needs. It was hard for me to connect emotionally with Shane in the early years of our marriage, and even now, after 24 years as of Monday, um, I have a really hard time being vulnerable. I can now recognize how detached I become during moments of conflict, and I have to make myself lean in and engage. In my darkest moments, I feel like I will never be able to love Shane the way I should because of how damaged I feel from the divorce. It's only by God's grace that we ourselves are not divorced, although we came close. Today, our marriage is strong and sure thanks to God's redemptive work in our lives. The divorce has also affected our children. Shane and I are raising our kids to follow God's ways, and we teach them that marriage is a lifelong commitment. So it was a difficult conversation to have with each of them when they asked why Gramps and Grandma aren't married to each other anymore. It's a hard thing to explain to a four-year-old, especially because we don't want our kids to think that one day we will change our minds the way their gramps did. These are conversations I wish that I didn't have to have. Um, For those of you who are contemplating divorce and believe the lie that kids are resilient and they will be okay, I would like to close with this. Several years ago, my dad called us all together for a family meeting. My siblings and I were all curious as to what the meeting was about, and every single one of us jokingly said, maybe mom and dad are getting back together. Uh, That was ridiculous because they were both married to other people, but I think it shows that even as adults, the desire of our hearts was for our family to be whole again. My dad actually called the meeting to ask for our forgiveness, but in spite of the regret he now feels, it's too late to undo what was done. Even though I have forgiven my dad and we have a good relationship today, the wreckage of his decision to divorce my mom is still a painful part of my life, and the sadness never completely goes away. Hmm. Alyssa, thank you so much for sharing. And just thinking about the idea that even as an adult, you have kids of your own, that there's still that hope and that idea that, you know, 20, 30 years later, that maybe mom and dad are going to get back together. 
And I think for most of us, we, we believe this lie that our kids want us to be happy and that other people want us to be happy. But for most kids, like they, they want mom and dad to be together. And we, we put this narrative in our mind that what's going to be better for them is that the, for the fighting to stop and for us just to separate and go different ways. Um, but the best opportunity for, for all of us, and especially our kids, um, is for us to fight for that unity and reconciliation. And so, you know, for you and Shane, share a little bit more and just what were some of the things you talked about how that affected your own marriage and, and you not being vulnerable and kind of being independent. Like, how did you, when did you put the connection between your upbringing and, and being a child of divorce and how you and Shane were kind of experiencing some of that distance? Well, I think it was after um, year eight when we actually separated and divorce was on the table for mm-hmm. the first time. And um, just through biblical counseling and I think God revealing a lot to me and just through the years, it was a process. I think that we were able, Shane is a child of divorce as well. And so I think we were able to kind of process like how that impacted our marriage and what kind of interactions that caused. Mm-hmm. And then I think speaking on this panel has helped me um, to really kind of think about it more and process it more and see some of the negative patterns. Yeah. I mean, guys, there is so much that develops us into who we are today. I mean, some of it is uh, just who God created us to be and our personality types, but so much of it is just what we had to walk through. And, And divorce is something that is a part of childhood trauma that can affect us for the rest of our lives and even other broken relationships that we have to realize that there's things in our past that we've brought into our marriage. There's things in our past that we bring into our current reality that are affecting how we make decisions today. And and, and I would just encourage, I take a time right now just to encourage all of us uh, to consider really going back in the past and thinking through how did things, both the hurts, the habits that I've made, the addictions that I've given myself over to or things that have happened to me, how are they affecting me now in my relationship with Christ, my relationship with my spouse? And there's, I believe, no better place than here on Monday nights at Regeneration to really work through everything that you've gone through in the past. Um, If you're a child of divorce yourself, um, or if there's something else that has kind of introduced just a lot of pain and hurt, whether it's self-inflicted or something that's happened to you, just to understand more of, of what might be hindering between me and my relationship with my spouse. And then also one of the things Alyssa talked about is how she became really interdependent, you know, independent and that she um, wasn't going to allow, you know, someone else to kind of control whether, you know, she had food on the table or even decisions. And, and one of the things, you know, we'll see typically for children of divorce is that they'll go one or two directions um, typically, unless they are able to kind of process through it in a healthy manner, is that they're going to become really independent and just kind of say, I'm going to you know, keep you in an arm's distance and make sure that you don't hurt me. Or they go the other direction and become overly codependent and clingy, just uh, fearful that, that you're going to leave as well. And again, that's just why it is so important to have stability um, within the home because it helps us raise kids uh, to be healthier adults. And, and I mean, with everyone on this panel, um, because of God's grace, because of the body of Christ, because of God's word, you can move towards a place of health, um, but we don't want to put, you know, a setback in our kids' lives. And so, Brett, I want to share your story. Um, My earliest childhood memories are of my parents fighting, 
And I can remember even probably at the age of five, lying in bed and listening to them arguing um, so that even in my bedroom, when the door was shut, I was in bed and I would just hear terrible fights. I mean, clearly could pretty much hear everything they were saying to each other. And so even at that young age, I remember worrying that they were, I don't know how I even really knew what divorce was, but I can remember worrying that that was going to happen. And so when I was eight years old, they did divorce. And all of the anger that I had been exposed to uh, made me angry. And so for the next several years, I was um, regularly getting into fights in school. Uh, When I was 11, my mother remarried, and my stepfather's job uh, led us to move across the country uh, pretty quickly after they married. And so what little security I felt at the time had come from my maternal grandparents who lived nearby and and from my friends who I'd known pretty much all my life. And so um, the change of leaving all that on top of the divorce was just devastating. Uh, So my younger sister and I would go twice a year across country to visit my father. Uh, It was a terrible experience, and I dreaded it uh, because he would spend a significant part of the time telling me that the court had decreed when I turned 14 that I could choose uh, with whom I wanted to live. Um, and, and that was, you know, you, a child can't make that choice. Now, I wouldn't have chosen him because he was an angry man. And, uh, but I couldn't say that because it would make him angry. And so um, I just had to pretend that I would consider it. And uh, it always produced terrible anxiety. Uh, during our visits, he would constantly talk bad about my mom. And after he remarried, uh, my stepmother would join in the talking down of, of my mother. And so my mother, meanwhile, really just didn't recognize the serious effects uh, that the divorce and her decision to remarry and then move us across the country were having on my sister and me. Uh, and it was cl- quite clear to me that her own pursuit of happiness, her own happiness, had just simply blinded her to the effects it was having on my sister and me. Now, I know uh, that in retrospect, she saw the damage that was done. Uh, ultimately, all of this led me to be a very lonely child who felt insecure and depressed. Uh, my stepfather's career led us to move twice more while I was in school, um, so that it, that was an additional source of insecurity. So by the time I was 14, I began to experiment with alcohol as a way of dealing with insecurity and depression, uh, and the dependence on alcohol that manifested continued into adulthood and became a serious problem for me that almost cost me my marriage and my family. And fortunately, when my wife put divorce on the table, I turned to God and he rescued me from my brokenness as I fully submitted to him. Um, And so today, my wife Jan and I have turned our lives over to God and he's healed our family in ways that um, we really, neither one of us could have ever imagined. And so I would just say that if you think divorce will improve your life, I would beg you to reconsider um, turning your life over to Christ and let him lead you and your family to the life we were created for is the answer. Um, And you can't give your child a greater gift than you 
giving your life to Christ, following him, and then wholly committing to your marriage. Mm-hmm. So, Brett, for you, um, and I, I love sitting and talking to you because you're, you're a thinker and you're always, um, if, if you want to talk about anything about, about God and questions that you have, you know, Brett serves in our ministry great questions, and you can go to that on Monday nights, and also he's just a great person to dialogue. And so as you think about looking back on your life and how your parents' divorce um, and just the instability there just affected your view of God um, as a child and also as an adult, to the point to where maybe hindered you for a while of, of being willing to trust in Christ and trust in God. Yeah, I think one of the big things, and as you said earlier, it's absolutely true that people form their view of God largely through their parents and particularly through their father. And so when my parents divorced and then we moved across the country, uh, my father could have Uh, come to see us more often than he did. What happened was really our interactions only happened when we went to see him. And uh, that was really the kind of person he was. And um, so what I, I think my concept of God was that I wasn't significant enough for God to be concerned about. Hmm. I thought that God had bigger things to deal with um, and that I was just just not significant. And uh, so that's really, I think, the biggest impact is I just didn't think I registered with God somehow. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Can y'all give it up for them as they share? You know, for many of us, as I think about the things that they shared, just a common thread that even in talking to um, adults who are considering divorce now, is this idea that kids are resilient and that they're going to get through this and that they're going to be okay. And because of God's grace uh, and because of God's spirit and the people of God coming alongside those three who just shared, um, they're, they're in amazing spots. Uh, their, their marriage is thriving. Their families are thriving. Um, but as we, if we kind of peel back the layers of that idea of kids are resilient, what we need to realize that we're saying is that kids are resilient and mom and dad are fragile. Kids are the ones that are going to be able to kind of figure this out, but mom and dad, you know, you know, we're the ones that need to be kind of cared for. And just realizing that all of us as, as individuals, we're all fragile. We're all broken. And there's so many things that can interrupt our life. Um, but what does it look like for us as a husband and a wife, as a mom and a dad, to make the courageous decision to fight for reconciliation, to pursue oneness, to continue to involve more people to help us get through the storm. And so, uh, Rachel and Elgin, why don't you all come on up here? Uh, My friends that are going to come up right now, they have a different uh, story to tell. Divorce is a part of their story, um, but it wasn't the end of their story. And, And they sat in this room around two and a half, three years ago as a divorced couple trying to determine, you know, is reconciliation possible? And so would love for you to hear how as you just heard three adults talk about how the divorce affected them as they were children when that happened, um, that there is another way and there is hope for you guys. So go ahead. Thank you, Ryan. 
Good evening. Uh, I'm Elgin, and this is my beautiful wife and best friend, Rachel. I want to thank all of you for being here and sharing your time with us tonight. Um, Rachel and I were um, the typical couple that everyone looked at and said that we were the perfect couple. In 2013, we'd been married for 27 years. We had four beautiful, smart, and almost perfect children. (laughs) I had a successful business. Uh, We had a second home. We went on multiple vacations every year. Rachel and I were very much alike. We enjoyed doing many things together and rarely fought. To the outside world, we were living the American dream and we had no troubles to speak of. In April of 2013, our whole world turned upside down when I discovered that Elgin was being unfaithful with multiple women. So I filed for divorce, I asked to move out of the house, and we started an awful two-year and very expensive divorce. Unless you have ever been through a divorce, you truly have no idea what to expect. It is mentally and physically draining. It is an emotional roller coaster that is constantly on your mind and that you can't get away from. It has a domino effect that impacts everyone around you, especially your children, even if they are adults. If people would put the time into their relationship in exchange for the time it takes to go through a divorce, that divorce would probably not happen. If you are a couple couple that both help and contribute to taking care of younger children, there is no recourse that can be done if one of those parents do not show up for their weekend or their day. Divorce is horrible for everyone. You, your spouse, your children, your family, your friends. It forces all relationships to choose a side. And if they don't choose your side, they are seen as disloyal. During the two years that Rachel and Rachel and I went through the divorce process, we tried to reconcile. We went to marriage marriage counseling once a week, but my infidelity continued, and in December of 2014, our divorce was final. Shortly thereafter, Rachel gave me a book titled The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. The book was biblically based, consisting of 42 chapters. I was to read one chapter per day, no more, no less. As I read the chapters, I felt like God was speaking to me. When I got to the chapter on Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, resurrection, the story grabbed my heart. For the first time in my life, I understood how much God loves us. My eyes filled with tears as I felt God's love and grace. At that moment, I felt God encouraging me, encouraging me to make things right with Rachel. After all, if God could send his only son to die for my sins, I surely could put all my sinful desires aside to make things right with Rachel, my family, and God. I called Rachel the same day and asked her if she would go to dinner with me, and she accepted 
At dinner, I told her about my experience with the book and that I was ready for a monogamous relationship with her if she would give me one more chance. And through all God's glory, she accepted. We dated for three years, rebuilding trust and a spiritual relationship with God, putting God number one in our lives and at the center of our relationship. During those three years, we got help from attending the Reengage program, and we started marriage counseling again, but this time with a biblically-based counselor. In September 2017, Elton proposed, and I accepted. <laughs> we were ready to recommit to one another. So our original wedding date was on January the 30th. So I wanted to remarry on that same day and renew our vows. But January 30th, 2018 was on a Tuesday, which was not a good night for a wedding. But January 30th was an important date for me. So we decided that since re-engage had played such an instrumental part in our reconciliation, that the only fitting thing to do was ask Ryan uh, to perform the ceremony here at Watermark with our immediate children. Mm-hmm. So on January 30th, we had that ceremony here, and then the following weekend, we had a larger celebration with our entire family and all of our friends. So I've, we have a picture that we brought tonight that we want to show you. Yeah. So this is... the pi- <laughs> So this is a picture that Ryan took of us uh, immediately after the ceremony. It's our four children. We have a son-in-law. And at the very, very top, there's a little blonde head, and that's our first grandchild. (laughs) And we look at this picture often and think how fortunate we are to still have that in our lives. Mm -hmm. Today, our relationship is the best it has ever been. By drawing the circle around myself and working on me and how God wants me to be, gave my heart the gift of forgiveness, love, patience, and kindness towards all, but especially my husband, who's the second most important person in my life. I want to treat the second most important important person in my life with love and kindness every day. We would not be here today if it wasn't for God's grace. I hope our words were encouraging and would give you hope regardless of what difficulties you might be struggling with today. So please let God touch your heart and and soften it and show grace, kindness to your spouse. Thank you for listening. Amen. Guys, that is the story of every single one of us, if we allow it to be. Like the place where they met Christ was when they came to their deepest point of brokenness. And it's the same for every single one of us. It just depends on how deep does that brokenness need to be. For Elgin and Rachel, it was the brokenness of 27 years of a family and experiencing the pain and the hurt of divorce that led them to a place to not just play church and attend to a weekly gathering, but realize that there is a God who loves them 
who died for them and wants a right relationship with them. The same is for us. How far does our brokenness need to go before we stop trying to manage this life on our own and surrender to God? And then the same story for them as they move towards reconciliation and draw the circle around themselves and allow the body of Christ to come alongside them and encourage them, they took one step after another of restoring their relationship, of rebuilding trust, of asking for and extending forgiveness, and a marriage and a family was healed. And that's available for every single one of us. Whether things are great right now and and they can continue to get better, or you're at a similar spot that they are, or they were. And so just realize that what God offers every single one of us is hope and healing. And what God wants for us is so much more than we could ever hope and imagine. And it's just available. And so I just encourage you guys, um, if, if I know that tonight as we listen to three different stories of how divorce affected you know, the children of divorce now that they're adults, it was sobering. And it was purposefully so. And then one of the things, as you look at research, kind of January is the time when most people decide, well, let's, let's finish this. Let's have a new year and a new me and a new relationship. And hopefully from their story, you'll realize there's many consequences, you know, with our children, with other relationships. And then hopefully from the Allen story, you realize that there is hope and healing no matter how far gone you are. Guys, two, two months ago, we celebrated another couple that was divorced for 11 years. 11 years, and they got remarried to each other. Because of Christ, because of his spirit, because of his people. So it doesn't matter how far gone you think your current situation is, there's hope and healing. There's hope and healing. Amen? Amen. All right. Guys, if this is your first time here, we just want to say thank you so much for trusting us with your Wednesday night. Um, we're about to go a bunch of different directions. Um, and before we kind of head to where we're going to be going next, I have a few announcements. Um, one is we've got a bunch of things to celebrate, like the Allen story. Uh, we want one of you guys to pursue each other and date one another. And so we've got a gift for a little date night and then also um, something to help you continue to cherish one another. So if you've got an orange ticket, grab it, take it out. First numbers one, three, zero. It's a lot of y'all. Great job. It's coming to you, Will. <laughs> five. So one, three, zero, five, four, two. Yes. Come on. Here you go. Excellent. <clears throat> Take your bride on a date. Guys, uh, another thing we have to celebrate is there are seven groups that are finishing up tonight. So for y'all that are celebrating, way to go. We are so proud of you for continuing to take that next step of obedience of just coming week after week, working on yourself, working on your marriage. When we exit here, you're going to go out these doors, you know, take a right, head over to the second floor of the tower where open group was, and then you're going to go one story up. So you can either take the elevator or the stairs to the third floor of the tower, and that's where the celebration will be on the third floor of the tower. Um, If you are here for the very first time, uh, what we'd love for you to do is come down here to my left, your right, and you're going to meet with Bobby and Shari Johns. 
and they're going to share with you about what this journey of re-engage can look like um, if you continue to take the next step um, of joining us, and we really hope you do. If you've come to newcomers or not yet in a closed group, there's two things I want to let you know. Where to go first, go out these doors, take a right. When you hit a wall, don't hit it. Take another right. And then after you cross a sky bridge, there's three rooms over there, room 210, 211, and 212. Jump in any one of those three rooms. And if Spanish is your first language, you can jump into room 207. Um, and then the other thing I want to tell you is just keep coming. You know, we're going to be starting closed groups um, in January. We've got a lot of groups that are launching um, in January. So just continue to be faithful to come, work on yourself, work on those challenges each week. It'd be great. Anyway, thank you. There are more announcements. Next slide, please, David. Okay, two more announcements. Next week over the, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we will not have re-engage here. We would encourage you to re-engage at your home, yeah. you know, find something to listen to, to read together, continue to work on your relationship with Christ and your marriage. And then the following week, we will have re-engage, but we won't be in this room. So there are going to be 3,000 of your closest and my closest friends that will be on campus that night for a Christmas concert. And so we will be meeting kind of in stage two, which is the large gathering room on the other side of kind of the tree fort. And so that's where we'll be meeting. There'll be, you know, volunteers with name tags pointing in the right direction, but still show up here at 6.30, actually show up at 6.15 because parking will be crazy. And if you can't find a parking spot down here, there's a garage right over there and you just get to get some exercise. All right. So show up early, join us in stage two, have an amazing Thanksgiving and have a great night pursuing oneness. Ow.